Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Brett Walker. Good morning, Brett. Uh, good morning. You know, CPW, people think about them managing our game animals and licensing. They also think about them as fish biologists managing our, our fish in the lakes and things. But Parks and Wildlife and, of course, the parks, parks, they're charged with a lot more than that. You guys are charged really with all the wildlife in Colorado to provide habitat, manage, uh, keep track of. And with wildlife viewing and especially birding becoming so popular, uh, it, it's, uh, it's become a bigger part of your job, I think. Yeah, we, um, most of the time I work on a game species, greater sage-grouse. Uh, but there are other sagebrush obligate species uh, that we're also concerned about. Uh, and so we've kind of expanded our horizons and we're learning, learning more every day in, in, with help from the public. Now, one of these uh, critters that you, you really had kind of questions about, and we didn't understand what they were, and that's the alpine brewer sparrows. You have an initiative to kind of study them. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, for many years, uh, people had been reporting um, a species that's normally considered a sagebrush obligate, and that means it depends on sagebrush for um, for breeding, uh, and that's called the brewer sparrow. But they also have been reported in alpine areas, up in alpine willows, and that stunt those stunted conifers known as crumholtz. Um, but we didn't know which subspecies uh, the birds in alpine were. Uh, and we didn't even know if they were breeding. So we did a, a project back in, in 2021 in summer, and we got all the results done, and, and we're about to, about to get those out the door. So what did you find? Were they, uh, were they part of the Canadian sparrows that are more of an Arctic sparrow, or were they actually the same sparrows that we see in the sagebrush? Right, so there's two subspecies, one that breeds exclusively in sagebrush, or we, so we thought, uh, and another that breeds up in the Canadian Rockies known as the timberline sparrow. Um, but what we found is that the birds in Colorado, which a lot of people thought were this other subspecies, are actually just the sagebrush brewer sparrows uh, nesting in a completely different habitat than, than we thought. So we, we learned a lot more uh, about where they occur throughout the state. And it turns out that they're, they've been found at almost 100 different alpine locations in almost every mountain range uh, across Colorado. So these are what we thought were sagebrush obligate birds that actually have that breed in a whole completely separate habitat type uh, up in the high mountain country. Now, sagebrush uh, brewer sparrows, sparrow, they're not easily identifiable by looking at them, but they do have a, a, an, an outstanding trait, don't they? Oh, they're incredible. They are probably one of, they have some of the most complex and beautiful songs uh, of any songbird we have in North America. Um, if you've spent any time out in the sagebrush uh, in the spring, May or June, uh, especially right at dawn when the, when all the males are singing, they have these incredible uh, songs. Um, that said, that's really offset by this is really what we would call a typical little brown job. So one of the smallest brown sparrows and, and very difficult to identify visually. Yeah, this this uh, study, is a bene- it's, I bet it's been interesting, though, and we're probably because of this, we now know we have a lot more of these sparrows than we thought. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. There's been a lot of concern about lots of different uh, sagebrush obligate species um, because of you know habitat loss and fragmentation. But now that we know that this uh, sub sagebrush subspecies actually breeds in alpine willows, it's possible that there's a lot more uh, than we thought there were. That said, these also could be what we call itinerant breeders. And what that means is they could be birds that first nest in sagebrush in May and June and then move up to the high country to nest again uh, later in the summer. But we need uh, to put some tiny uh, tracking devices on these birds to actually figure out what, uh, what exactly is going on. So there's a lot more to learn. Now, as far as a lot more to learn, there's a lot the public can do. In fact, you not only rely, hopefully, on the public, but you recruit the public to bring information. There's some apps we'll talk about. But you really look to the citizen slash scientist or whether they're just a wildlife viewer or bird watching, uh, people getting out and enjoying nature is so popular. You really depend on people to report back to you, don't you? Absolutely. People who spend tons of time outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, bird watching, or even just recreating, backpacking and camping, um, a lot of people have, have these amazing skills uh, to identify birds, uh, and they actually contribute a lot of uh, information, uh, and including this project, we relied on uh, information from a global birding app called eBird. Um, for part of our research, uh, and that's an increasing thing where the public contributes their observation, and it really increases the knowledge that we have about where uh, species occur, uh, when, and which habitats they're found in. Now, the eBird app, is that available to anybody? It is. It can, uh, you can download it for free uh, for your mobile phone. Uh, it's also available as, you know, on, um, as a web application. And and people, uh, I bet people really get into that. It not only is that helpful to you, it's probably a lot of fun for these people identifying. And will the app help them? I maybe identify a bird that they couldn't recognize. So there's actually other apps that are called uh, that are birding identification apps. So they can help you identify birds by sight, like the uh, David Sibley's uh, birding app. Um, or there's ones that can help you identify birds by song, uh, like the Merlin ID or Song Sleuth. Uh, there are lots of different apps out there that use artificial intelligence to help you figure out which bird songs you're hearing. It's really incredible technology. And now you're looking, you're really, I think as we wrap this up, the message you want is to have people out there really go to the eBird app and get you information. You really count on that, don't you? Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is exactly the time of year, um, especially with all the snow this year, that the birds should should be starting to breed right now for the next month. Um, so if people want to get out to some of these high country sites, I actually have uh, a map and locations and information uh, for people if they want to get out and report their observations in these alpine areas uh, to eBird. So they can they can go ahead and contact me. Uh, for more information, I can send them uh, the maps and the information they need. Uh, I'm a threat, B-R-E-T-T. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, my email is brett, B-R-E-T-T, dot walker, W-A-L-K-E-R, at state dot C-O dot U-S. And folks and can it, contact me and I can get them all the information they need. And is there... Um, 
Is there any place on the website where there's more information? We do have a place on our website. Um, they're actually uploading that information uh, early next week. Um, but if you look at, if you do a search for Alpine Brewers Sparrow in the search bar on the CPW website, it'll tell you more about the project. All right, my friend. Thank you. Always interesting work you do, Brett. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Terry. All right, Brett Walker from CPW. We're, uh, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk to um, Travis Duncan from CPW about uh, some boating programs that are going on on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan.